We are about to begin the last study of J.C. Ryle's A Call to Prayer. This is part two of the ninth chapter, dealing with Ryle's advice to the saints, or his counsel to believers about the discipline and practice of prayer. We are just picking up where we left off from last week. We are on the subheading that is titled Asking. That's on page 22 of Ryle's pamphlet. And after I open this up in a word of prayer just to kick off our study for tonight, I would like a volunteer to read from the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, with a special focus on verses 9 through 12. Can I get a volunteer to read that portion of scripture after I open us up in prayer. All right. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And uh, whenever you're there, Alan, I will pray, and you can kick us off with that reading of Scripture. What was it again? 3, 1 through 12? Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses uh, 3 through 12. Whole letter? No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me pray and uh, we'll go and take a look at God's Word together to get us started. Father, it has been a joy to work our way through this ancient and valuable study of prayer. Its, its value transcends the generation in which it was written in almost 200 years ago now. And it just is a testimony to the relevance of your Word that Human nature doesn't change. The world, though there's increases and trends and there is developments in technology and there are changes to society's ebbs and flows of of what is popular and, um, Father, what is deemed as admirable and good and and what should be uh, strived to attain, those things change God. But your word never changes, and its relevance to mankind never changes. And we've seen that in regard to prayer over the last seven sessions, this being our eighth now, to bring this study to a conclusion. We're grateful for how we have been confronted head-on with our need to grow in our prayer life and our need to be utterly dependent upon you for every aspect of our creaturely existence. Father, forgive us for the times in which we think that we can somehow get on in this life without you. Father, forgive us for the times in which we have regarded ourselves as self-sufficient. And God, I pray that as we conclude this study and as we prepare to transition out of this season of increased focus on prayer, that this would not simply have just been an academic exercise, but God, that everything that we have studied up to this point, everything that we will review tonight from Ryle's A Call to Prayer, that it would be modeled in and through us as believers in the 21st century as we strive to serve you well here at FBC Ed and as we strive to be your ambassadors in our community, in our workplace environments, in our families, and every other domain of life you've entrusted unto us. I pray that your Holy Spirit tonight would give us wisdom to accurately understand what we're going to be considering from your word. And insofar as Ryle communicates uh, consistent truth from scripture, we pray that we would have wisdom to understand and apply what he has to teach us as well. Bless our time of 
of study and fellowship and give each and every one of us boldness, God, if if, if somebody wants to speak in, in answering a question or if somebody has a question themselves that they want to address, give us all boldness to speak up. Give us humility to be teachable from your word and, and by your Holy Spirit. And may we just continually encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ as we have opportunities to do so, both tonight and in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Alan is going to read that for us. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Yes, sir. Thank you for reading, and um, thank you guys for following along in your copy of Scripture. Uh, Just to get us going, as we've done, I think, in each of our lessons in this series, I just want to open us up with a question for group discussion and get the conversation flowing here amongst ourselves. So opening question for group discussion based off the text that we just read together. Uh, Here's the question. According to what Paul writes in verses 9 to 12 of Colossians chapter 1, what is Paul's reason for praying for his readers to obtain a deeper knowledge of God's commanded will in Scripture and to grow in their wisdom and understanding of spiritual matters? In other words, what does Paul expect the outcome of the Christian's growth and head knowledge to produce? Strictly speaking from verses 9 to 12, the prayer of Paul there, his prayer for the Colossians. Why does he want the Colossian believers to grow in their knowledge of God's commanded will and their spiritual wisdom and understanding of his word? So that they will walk with the Lord him? Yeah, how did where did you find that at, Ellie? In the scripture. Yeah, what verse? What verse was that? Ten. Very good. And how did you know that was the reason? Just for the listener and for us here tonight. So that. Yeah, the so that, right? So the so that gave it away. That's the reason why Paul is praying for the uh, for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, um as we just read together, 
Paul is praying that they will grow in their knowledge of God's word and understanding of how to rightly apply it to their lives so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, and that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit with all power according to God's glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So um, just by way of review for especially you youth and especially for the listener uh, who's may not be familiar with hermeneutics. That is, they may not be familiar with the discipline of studying God's word. Anytime you see a so that or a therefore or just the word for, that indicates a reason or purpose for what the author said in the verses immediately preceding the so that or the for or the therefore. So Ellie did a great job of pointing that out to us. If we could summarize it, um, something that I took note of as I was preparing for tonight, um, I believe Paul's saying that a God-glorifying lifestyle is the inevitable outcome of growing in one's head knowledge about the content of Scripture and about how Scripture should be applied to one's life. Uh, In other words, personal holiness and obedience to God's Word should be the necessary outcome. It should be the byproduct of our growth and understanding the Bible. Head knowledge should have an effect in our day-to-day lives as believers. It should produce holiness. It should produce obedience. Um, And then the second reason that Paul gives for why Christians should grow in head knowledge of God's word um, is found in verse 12. It's continuing that thought after the so that. And what, what do you guys see in verse 12 as that second reason for growth in head knowledge? Why is Paul praying for that? over the Colossians. So that they will give him thanks. Yeah. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we've just seen from verses 10 and 11, Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge of Scripture so that they might be made into the image and moral character of Jesus Christ, that they would grow in holiness and obedience to Scripture. But on top of that, Paul wants them to grow in their head knowledge so they can grow in their ability to worship God. Um, Steve Lawson has said it best. I, I love this quote from him. He says that high theology produces high doxology. Our hearts will only ascend as high in worship as they go deep into theology. So in a very real sense, you and I cannot worship God any further than we have a knowledge of who he is as he's revealed himself to us in his word. Um, If the church is going to grow in its ability to worship God in a manner that's pleasing to him, then the church must be committed to growing in knowledge of biblical truth and spiritual realities. If I could put it even more simply, if I could put it even more bluntly, you show me what a church thinks about doctrine, and I'll show you what their expression of worship looks like on a consistent basis. They are inextricably linked together. Churches that have a high view of God's word and have a high view of knowing doctrine and applying doctrine to their lives and to their worship, that church is going to be vibrant. Their worship is going to be biblically saturated. Lives are going to be transformed. Their outreach and their missionary endeavors are going to be flourishing. That is an inevitable byproduct of growth and head knowledge. Conversely, if you have a church that doesn't value sound doctrine, if you have a church that's not committed 
to growing in knowledge of biblical and spiritual realities. Their worship is going to be dry and possibly even dead. They're going to have minimal community um, effectiveness in their outreach, their missional, their missional endeavors, um, both within the community, within the state, within the nation, and even globally. It's going to be little to non-existent. Prayer meetings are going to be lifeless, if non-existent uh, at all. Um, you're going to have situations where there, there's division and, and there is uh, ignorance about what they believe and why they believe what they believe. That is an inevitable byproduct of a church that doesn't care about doctrine, doesn't care about biblical truth and growing in knowledge of spiritual reality. So I thought it would be appropriate to begin tonight's study because a lot of what Ryle's going to say here tonight is going to build off of these themes of Hey, we grow in our knowledge of who God is and our knowledge of what he's revealed in his word so we can apply it to be made more into the likeness of Jesus Christ and ultimately so we might grow in our ability to worship the triune God. Last observation I had just while we're here on the text, uh, you can't, can't get away from this text and so many others in the New Testament without making note of this. And you could do a series on this prayer uh, if you if you really wanted to get into the weeds. But in verse 12, I thought it was fascinating. Paul notes that in his prayer, he's, he's saying, Colossians, I want you to joyously give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. So what's Paul saying here? In, in this beautiful, climatic expression of him praying for the Colossians to ascribe worship and praise to God as a result of growing in their head knowledge of who God is. Paul is saying that one salvation and membership in God's kingdom is ultimately not something that we've done to qualify ourselves through any good work. It's not something that we just ultimately decided to do in and of a sheer act of the will. And the final analysis it is God and God alone who saves any sinner by an act of his grace. And by God's grace alone, it's God and God alone who qualifies any sinner to obtain membership in his heavenly kingdom. When we recognize that it is solely by the grace of God that any sinner is a member of his heavenly kingdom, that we will begin to worship God as he's called us to do so. So thankfulness to God is a necessary byproduct of properly understanding what he has done for us to save us and to adopt us into his heavenly family. I think that's very important for us too as we strive to grow in our prayer lives. If we understand what God's done for us in Christ, if we truly are thankful for those realities as a result of thinking about what God's done for us, our prayer life's going to flourish it is going to grow exponentially. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how Ryle develops this as we look to this final section of chapter 9 and, of course, of this entire pamphlet. But does anybody have any comments or questions about that before we start to read a little bit of what he has to say here? Jen Wilkins says, The heart cannot love what the head cannot love. That's right. And I think it's so true my relationship with my kids it's like you want to you want to know them more and you mm -hmm. love them more the more you know my relationship with my husband conversely yeah. as well like I wouldn't just oh, okay so his name is Zach that's good enough we'll get married we'll stop there that's all I need to know mm -hmm. you want to know more and more because you love them and then you love them because you know more about them amen 
Amen. Yeah, keep your keep your thumb on that theme, Samantha, because we're going to come back to that as we get into tonight's study. Um, it's a really good thought. This first paragraph underneath the subheading, asking, would somebody be willing to read that? I'll read the second one. These are both pretty sizable paragraphs, but if somebody wants to read that first one there for us, that'd be great to kick us off. I commend to you the importance of boldness in prayer. There is an unseemly familiarity in some men's prayer, which I cannot praise. But there is such a thing as holy boldness that is exceedingly to be desired. I mean such boldness as that of Moses, when he pleads with God not to destroy Israel. Wherefore, says he, should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out out to slay them in the mountains? Turn from thy fierce anger, Exodus 32, 12. I mean such boldness as that of Joshua when the children of Israel were defeated before the men of Ai. What, says he, wilt thou do unto thy great name? Um, this is the boldness for which Luther was remarkable. One who heard him praying said, What a spirit, what a confidence was in his very expressions. With such a reverence, he said, as one begging of God, and yet with such hope and assurance as if he spoke with a loving father or friend. This is the boldness that distinguished Bruce, a great Scotch divine of the 17th century. His prayers were said to be like bolts shot up into heaven. Here also, I fear we sadly come short. We do not sufficiently realize the believer's privileges. We do not plead as often as we might. Lord, are we not thine own people? Is it not for thy glory that we should be sanctified? Is it not for thy honor that thy gospel should increase? Mm. I commend to you the importance of fullness in prayer. I do not forget that our Lord warns us against the example of the Pharisees who, for pretense, made long prayers and commands us when we pray not to use vain repetitions, Matthew 6, 7. But I cannot forget, on the other hand, that he has given his own sanction to large and long devotions by continuing all night in prayer to God. At all events... We are not likely in this day to err on the side of praying too much. Might it not rather be feared that many believers in this generation pray too little? Is not the actual amount of time that many Christians give to prayer in the aggregate very small? I am afraid these questions cannot be answered satisfactorily. I am afraid the private devotions of many are most painfully scanty and limited, just enough to prove they are alive and no more. They really seem to want little from God. They seem to have little to confess, little to ask for, and little to thank him for. Alas, this is altogether wrong. Nothing is more common than to hear believers complaining that they do not get on. They tell us that they do not grow in grace as they could desire. Is it not rather to be suspected that many have quite as much grace as they ask for? Is it not the true account of many that they have little because they ask little? The cause of their weakness is to be found in their own stunted, dwarfish, clipped, contracted, hurried, narrow, diminutive prayers. They have not because they ask not, James 4.2. Oh, we are not straightened in Christ, but in ourselves. The Lord says, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. But we are like the king of Israel who smote on the ground thrice and stayed when he ought to have smitten five or six times. 2 Kings 13.18 powerful portion so much there to unpack but I wanted to zero in on this question in your experience think about 
your time as a Christian, your time in church, and your experience, what seems to be the primary things that you see Christians praying for? Do those petitions and requests that you're familiar with Christians praying, do those petitions and requests line up with the examples and themes that we just read about here from Ryle? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Corporate prayer? Yeah, corporate prayer, small group prayers. I think what I've noticed is a lot of times prayers seem to be written out and rehearsed and they're in general and they don't want to be they don't want to be too inclusive or they don't want to be offensive. Sure. So it seems like it's just kind of like a general blessing is what they're asking for. Yeah. Instead of Broad. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that way it's not not offensive, but it seems I mean it seems like it covers. Right. Things what I what I've noticed. Yeah. Good thoughts, Alan. Anybody else want to share? I think when a lot of times when people are sick, it's like Lord heal them, but yeah. not um, like when you know what the issues are and what you specifically need. Not sending that out. Not praying that specifically. Mm. I want you guys to keep that in mind. We're going to get to. And if you've already read the chapter, you know what I'm talking about here. But um, we're going to get, Ryle's going to put his finger on that very issue. So that's, those are both good um, observations there. Any youth, do you all have any perspective that you'd like to share on, on how people that you are familiar with, could be adults, could be fellow youth, could be me. How do you often hear prayer being offered in your experience? Do you know anybody, this can be open-ended to the whole group, um, you know, that that little description that Ryle gives of that 17th century Scottish divine, he says, his prayers were said to be like bolts shot up into heaven. Man, I'd love to hear somebody pray like that. Um, I'll just share a personal anecdote, and this isn't this isn't me trying to put the man who I'm going to talk about on a pedestal here because he's he's a sinner. He's just like you and I. He's he's in need of the grace of God. Um, but he is a great model, I think, of what it looks like to, to really pray and do business with the Lord. And that's John MacArthur. When I first got to the Master's University in the spring semester of 2015, I'll never forget the first time I went to Grace Community Church. Right at the beginning of the semester, it was in January. I'd only been in California at that point for about a week or so, and up to that point in my life, you know, I'd been I'd been saved for about two years, maybe three, but two to three years. Very young in my faith, hadn't really studied the Bible very extensively, hadn't really been around real theologically astute, godly brothers, um, particularly men who were older than I had served in um, a few Baptist churches in college, but. Grace Community Church was different. I went there, and and the way they do it at Grace is they do an opening uh, hymn to to you know it was a call to worship basically, and then MacArthur goes up there and he and he um, gives the announcements, and then he does the corporate prayer before the service, and I'll never forget being in there and hearing him pray and thinking I have never heard anybody pray this deep this eloquent, this heartfelt 
in my entire life. It wasn't a show. It was from the heart, but it was rich. It was theologically rich. I mean, I had never perceived God as so high and so majestic and so glorious as I did. Just listening to him pray. And it was about who God was and about what they wanted him to do in the in the church service and in in praying for the ministries of the church and it really rocked my world and you know just in thinking of that phrase bolt shot up into heaven very few people i have ever heard when they pray you just know there's something different about them you know they've been with god you you know his hand is upon them and I think the, the, the tragic reality, this is just my experience now at 27, seven years later from when I was there at Grace Community Church and from what I've experienced, what I've seen uh, at our church right now, at other churches I've been to in the past, and I'm sure there's plenty of members at Grace Community Church, as great as that church is and as great as Countryside Bible Church is, which is the church I just came from before coming to FBC Edna, many Christians there fall into this, this category, I'm about to say, and that category is very temporally oriented prayers. Prayer is basically, it's like a grocery list. It's a shopping list. It's God, you know, I pray you heal so-and-so. I pray you give the doctors wisdom for so-and-so. And I, and God, I ask that you would, you know, just, just help us to um, glorify you. You know, that, I mean, and we should say those things. There's nothing wrong with those things, but there's just no unction in those prayers. There's no passion, and, and the prayers are repetitive, and they're not, they're not thought out. They're, they're shallow. And um, while it's important to pray for simple things in our life, right? 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. The, the most bare, minimum, basic request should be pray to the Lord. But there should be a just a, a, a great expectant, um, passionate unction in your in our prayers as believers. There, there should be just a, I'm going to do business with God. I'm going to think what I'm going to, I'm going to think through what I'm going to say. I'm going to the king of all of reality, the sovereign king and master of the universe, and I'm going to go as a beggar. And I'm going to be intentional and let him know what I need. But man, I'm, I'm going to trust that he can work through these prayers. This isn't just something I'm doing to check off a list or go through the motions to say, I pray today, you know, I'm guilty of this. I'm I'm not saying I'm there. I'm saying that's something that I want to be true of my life. And and sadly, I think this is largely true of a lot of believers. Um, So that's my perspective on on what I've seen and what I've experienced um, on this particular matter. Anyone else have any thoughts they'd like to share before we move on? Okay. Well, the next two paragraphs, um, I'm going to want two volunteers to read those paragraphs. And this is, again, this is coming off the heels of what Samantha and Alan talked about earlier, which is this, um, and and even um, Brittany, this idea of being particular in your prayers. So two people who will read those paragraphs, the next two paragraphs on page 23, and then I'm going to read, before we get to our next question, I'm going to read uh, the next two paragraphs uh, as well. Can read. Okay, Ellie, you want to take that first one? 
And then who would like to take the second one? All right, thank you, Michelle. Go for it, Ellie. I commend you to the importance. I commend to you the importance of particular out. Particularity. Particularity in prayer. We ought not to be content with great general petitions. We ought to specify our wants before the throne of grace. It should not be enough to confess we are sinners. We should name the sins of which our conscience tells us we are most guilty. It should not be enough to ask for holiness. We should name the grace in which we feel most deficient. It should not be enough to tell the Lord we are in trouble. We should describe our trouble in all its peculiarities. There you go. This is what Jacob did when he feared his brother Esau. He tells God exactly what it is that he fears. This is what Eliezer did when he sought a wife for his master's son. He spreads before God precisely what he wants. This is what Paul did when he had a thorn in his in the flesh. He besought the Lord. This is true faith and confidence. We should believe that nothing is too small to be named before God. What should we think of the patient who told his doctor he was ill but never went into particulars? What should we think of the wife who told her husband she was unhappy but did not specify the cause? What should we think of the child who told his father he was in trouble but nothing more? Christ is the true bridge groom of the soul, the true physician of the heart, the real father of his, all his people. Let us show that we feel this by being unreserved in our communications with him. Let us hide no secrets from him. Let us tell him all our hearts. Amen. Yeah, so you hear that, right? And, and what Alan and Samantha and Brittany had said earlier about just... Man, we need to be direct, specific, intentional in what we pray. You know, generalities. Sometimes you want to be just, if, if it's a private issue and you don't want to divulge too many things in a public setting, generalities may be fine. But sometimes generalities are just an excuse for really not thinking about what you want to say. And, 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 and really, it's just going through the motions sometimes, I think, if we're honest. So great stuff there. I'm going to read the next two paragraphs and open up another uh, discussion question for Can us as a group. A yeah, go for it. Will you elaborate in the first paragraph? It says we should not be. It should not be enough to ask for holiness. We should name the. We should name the graces in which we feel most deficient. What is that? Will you elaborate? So, uh, like. Yeah, I see it. Should, should not be enough to ask for holiness. We should not. Yeah. So basically, like instead of praying, Lord, this is how I interpret what we're all saying. Instead of praying, Lord, make me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Great prayer, right? But he's saying, take it a step further. Lord, help me to put to death my pride so I can be more like Jesus in the humility that he modeled in his life. Father, help me to help me to put aside my lust so that I might have um, a, a pure set of eyes and a pure mind and a pure heart as Christ modeled in his life. He's, he's saying, whatever sin you struggle with that you feel is lacking... Pray that God would give you the grace to have the growth you desire in those areas. Um, and, and really, that's, again, like, sometimes if, if you're in more of a public setting, there's nothing wrong with being really direct and really particular, but some people just 
may feel a little bit uncomfortable doing that. So I, I think that really pertains well to your private prayer life. Because mm-hmm. um, again, when you're in a public setting, you just have to use discernment about what you feel is appropriate to divulge and what you feel is inappropriate. Hey, if you're an open book and you don't mind letting people know you struggle with greed, by all means, you have the freedom to do that. But if, if you're a little bit less secure and, and, and you don't necessarily want to get into those weeds, especially like say, for example, I know in the church, a lot of men struggle with pornography. So most men probably don't want to confess at a prayer meeting you know, Lord, I'm just really struggling with lust, you know, and specifically pornography. Um, not saying, again, if they want to get into those weeds, they certainly can. That's between them and the Lord and what they feel is appropriate. However, sometimes being that particular publicly may not be most edifying for the group. And and sometimes, honestly, sometimes it can even be a form of, of kind of false humility of like, oh, man, I'm just struggling so much. I want to let everybody know what you know, I'm really struggling with. So now it, now it becomes about me and listen to how vulnerable I am. Look at how, look at how open I am. So again, it's all about the heart. It's all about this, you know, what am I praying for? What is my motive in letting people know about what I'm struggling with, et cetera, et cetera. You understand what I'm saying there? Um, but no, great question. Any other questions or comments before I take the next two paragraphs? All right. Continuing on here. Ryle says, I commend to you the importance of intercession in our prayers. We are all selfish by nature, and our selfishness is very apt to stick to us even when we are converted. There is a tendency in us to think only of our own souls, our own spiritual conflicts, our own progress in religion, and to forget others. Against this tendency, we all have need to watch and strive, and not least in our prayers. We should study to be of a public spirit. We should stir ourselves up to name other names besides our own before the throne of grace. We should try to bear in our hearts the whole world, the heathen, the Jews, the Roman Catholics, the body of true believers, the professing Protestant churches, the country in which we live, the congregation to which we belong, the household in which we sojourn, the friends and relations we are connected with. For each and all of these we should plead. This is the highest charity. He loves me best who loves me in his prayers. This is for our soul's health. It enlarges our sympathies and expands our hearts. This is for the benefit of the church. The wheels of all machinery for extending the gospel are moved by prayer. They do as much for the Lord's cause who intercede like Moses on the mount as they do who fight like Joshua in the thick of the battle. This is to be like Christ. He bears the names of his people as their high priest before the Father. Oh, the privilege of being like Jesus. This is to be a true helper to ministers. If I must choose a congregation, give me a people that pray. All right, guys, so for discussion now, for having read those two paragraphs particularly, um, I hope this generates some quality discussion. How does our prayer life reflect who we truly love? Based on what Ryle just said, specifically in those final two paragraphs that I had read, how does our prayer life reflect who we truly love? And think vertically and think horizontally here. At least that's kind of where my mind went. It shows who we care most about by when we pray for them and pray for their well-being. Yeah. 
So, so our prayers reveal really that we care about other people other than ourselves, right? It's very easy. We talked about a, a kind of a grocery list or a shopping list with prayer. God, give me this, give me that, give me this other blessing. Um, and we should pray for ourselves. We need to pray for ourselves daily. But if you never pray for other people who have expressed their needs to you, who you are knowledgeable about their, their wants, needs, and desires, if you neglect to pray for them insofar that the requests are according to God's will, then an argument could be made. You, you may not care about them a whole lot. If you're willing to pray for yourself and not pray for other people, then maybe a case could be made that you don't really love them biblically. You know, you might say you care about them, you may say you love them, but you know, biblically, love is evidenced in action, not necessarily emotion. Emotion is associated, certainly, but emotions can be high and they can be low, right? But biblical love is expressed primarily in action. So yeah, very good thought there, Ellie. Um, what about God? So that, that touches on the horizontal. And if anyone wants to talk more about that, certainly by all means, please share. But Ellie's really, she got to the heart of the horizontal dimension, praying for other people, showing love for other people by praying for them. But what do you think our prayer life reveals about our love for God? When you pray... Okay, so whenever something good happens and you don't praise God through prayer. You know that you're falling into sin, but whenever something bad happens to you and you pray for help, it shows that you only love yourself and you're being selfish. You're not praying because you want a relationship with God mm. and you love Him and you want to connect with Him. You're praying because you're scared for yourself and whenever things go good, you feel like, oh, okay, well, I'm good. I can, I'm good on my own. And then whenever you crash, you, you look to God again. Yeah, you've got nowhere else to go, right? Exactly right. That's beautiful. Very well said. Uh, just to make it personal, maybe some of you youth can relate to this. Um, and I, again, just when you hear this story, remember I was not a Christian when this happened. Uh, so for the listener, um, take that caveat into consideration here. Not recommending you should do this. But when I was a youth, uh, particularly in middle school and high school, I remember very vividly to this day that all of my prayers consisted of God. I, about to take that test, God. Help me to get an A here. Help me to glorify you and get this A. God, before the big game, God, help me to help me to get at least you know two hits today. I, I'd really like for my batting average to be... It needs to be here by the end of the game. If I get two hits, four at-bats, it's going to be there. God, help me to make this team so I can you know use this as a platform for you. But it was always like me trying to bargain with God and tempt God in, in, in a weird way of, man, if I just say it the right way, you know, if I just pray the right, you know, the right words, then, you know, God, he's going to answer it, right? I mean, I'm a Christian. I wasn't really a Christian, but Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I could parrot, you know, the little one-liners and everything. And essentially, as Joanna was just saying and building off of what she just said, I didn't love God. I loved what God could give me. I loved the idea of what God could provide me with. And all of my desires were fleshly. They were temporal. There was, there was no true eternal focus or desire behind those requests that I was making to the Lord. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about true prayer 
uh, what that looks like later on tonight. But um, any other thoughts, though? I have, I have one thought about, you know, how prayer reveals whether or not you love God. Um, but does anyone have any other thoughts on that before I just jump into the mix here? You can pray, like, like really good, like, deeply and vividly, but, like, or not vividly. Ugh. No, I think that's a good term. And you can pray, like you were saying, John MacArthur prayed really good. But, like, I'm not saying John MacArthur does this, but... Sure. You could pray that good, but still not know the Lord. Absolutely. Pharisees, right? Long, as, as, as Ryle cited from Matthew 6, 7... Long <coughs> prayers as a pretense. Uh, you know, Jesus says they have their reward in full. They, they want to get the approval of men. They want to be respected in the synagogues, in the marketplace. You're exactly right. Sometimes guys who are silver-tongued and they can, they can go out and rattle off a really eloquent prayer, you know, they don't have the heart behind that. So, you know, that's a good observation. Something, sometimes I get afraid, especially if I'm in a group of people that I know that are not like-minded. And when I start praying, I'm thinking about things that I want to talk that I'm praying to God about. And uh, sometimes I say more, or I say things that are on my heart, and it you got it offends people. It's sure. like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you, you know, it's like, no, I'm just, you know, I'm praying because I want Right, you know, uh, uh, and it's whenever you there are people that that have no idea there's a problem, you know, because they can't identify it's a problem. You right, know, they see it as a problem just because we're not getting along, and so you're like, you know, you you pray, and so to me, uh, I think that's wrong in my heart is that I should just say, you know, not not with an not with an agenda, right, but what I feel on my on my heart when they ask me to yeah. pray. You know, that's why when the deacons would ask me if I wanted to pray, I would I would not pray. Mm. Because I know I get excited and I start thinking about the things of God and I get pumped up sometimes and, and then, you know, it just and I'm not saying, yeah, we you just you just want to pour your heart out and it's like yeah. God, we're here, I mean we're here to petition and ask you. But there's always that kind of feeling like I hope I don't you no, know. I mean, whenever I pray, you know, whenever I prayed that one time, or whenever I pray, I don't want to. I don't want to be rehearsed. Sure. I want it to be what God puts on my heart. I want it to be be right. I want it to be genuine. But sometimes I've caught myself, in a, especially in a group of people uh-huh. that may not even know, and and you're you're praying, and then you know they may get offended or sure. say, "Well, what are you insinuating?" Yeah, it's like. I'm not insinuating. I'm just saying that you know, in order for us to be unified. So to me, I feel that's wrong, and I've done that before. I'll pull back. It's like, no, I'm not going to say that because I don't want to be, I don't want to be offensive. But that's what's on my heart, right? You know. And uh, so anyway, that's um, why I loved it says to be a true helper to ministers because I think about like Wednesday night services, and you have this long list of people who are going through X Y Z, like you really do care about those people and you're praying for those people, you're not just praying and petitioning for them on Wednesday. Like you're, They're now on your mind and on your heart and you're reaching out to them directly mm-hmm. and you're following up with them and showing them the love of Jesus throughout the week, not right. just on Wednesday in like an effort to get through a list. Yeah. And 
just it's not prayer is not just an event. It's a right. it's a lifestyle. Like it, it turns yeah. you into it purifies your heart in a way that you become more Christ like. Like you want to do something about it if you've taken the time to truly and honestly pray for them. Sure. Like not just send them an emoji hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Praying for you. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> great. And you're petitioning, like you said, you're petitioning God. You're 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 talking to the the boss. Right. You're talking to the king. You're talking to your you know, you're you're talking to your father. I mean, your yeah. creator. You're you bring it before him, and it's like, look, this is what we want. I mean, because we know how inadequate we are. Mm-hmm. If you really are honest, you know how inadequate yeah. you are. Sure. You know, and it's like, man, please, just help me to worship you right. Show me how I'm supposed to worship you. Right. Take away all this hindrance that I have. You know, because that's what your desire is, especially when you're worshiping, mm-hmm. especially whenever you're seeking after Him. I mean, to me. But no, it's really good. I've heard it said too, like this is from a I don't know if I'd call him a friend. We're we're more of acquaintances. He he's with a uh, group called Reform Forum. I, I do um cohorts with them in apologetics and a guy's name is Camden Busey. And he said I've heard I've heard him say this before that a lot of times believers will find themselves struggling with two extremes. On the one hand, there's a desire sometimes your prayer becomes your own sermon in a way like you you have like man i've got an audience and they need like these are my these are my true desires i want to bring for the lord but they do involve somebody in the audience and i want them to be convicted and i want them to hear what i have to say so this is a this is a sermon opportunity for me and the prayer becomes more about getting your sermon out than it is really about interceding at the throne of grace so he said there's that one struggle and then there's the other struggle of again depending on who's in the crowd depending on what the the relationship dynamics are like there's also the 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 struggle that believers can have where as you're praying you're you're so worried about what people are going to think about what you're saying you shouldn't be And, and you shouldn't be but but the struggle is gosh, I hope that doesn't offend so-and-so, or man, maybe I shouldn't say this, even though it's on my heart to say this, and we're praying. So there, there is really, yeah. believers can struggle, and I'm sure there's other ways they can struggle too, but that just came into my mind about um, something that, that uh, Dr. Busey had shared. Um, yeah, I, uh, I prayed on Wednesday night uh, for prayer meeting. Yeah, I heard you. I felt, I felt that way. You, you were kind of worried about yeah. what people were going to think. Do you yeah. think that that's like two ends of, like, if if pride were a spectrum? Like, they'd both be a struggle of pride. Yeah, they both are. Fear of man, on the one hand, of I hope I, I hope I, I don't offend somebody by saying this, or what are they going to think if I say this? Should I even say this at all? And, and then, lack and, of and, God. Well, yeah, and the other the other side I would think is just kind of arrogance, like no, like this is my time, and I'm gonna really let him hear it, you know, and, and and run roughshod over people listening. Now, I'm not saying that if it's on your heart, I'm not saying don't pray. What I am saying though is you have to be very very careful as you're praying to remember it's not a sermon. You are interceding at the throne of grace. Like you have to have a right view of God. Yep. Right, right view of what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Right view of God. Right view of prayer. Um, and the moment that, that you're in, it needs to be about the Lord and the edification of the people. It shouldn't be about you checking a box or getting your way, getting an agenda across. 
I wanted to note this too, just on this theme of how does our prayer life reflect who we truly love? Um, I noted with regard to God, I mentioned the vertical dimension of our relationship with God. You know, if we never pray, think about this. If we never pray truly, we cannot say we love God. If your life is not marked by prayer, you can't say you love God. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine if you were married, you said you love your spouse, you never spent any time with them, you never talked to them, uh, you never tried to get to know them, you never allowed them to get to know you, or if you have a dear friend, or I, sh- I should say different, you have somebody who you call a friend, and you never spend any time with them, you never ask how they're doing, um, you never allow them to truly know what's on your heart and what you're going through. In other words, you profess a relationship with them, and a personal one at that, but you, you never actually engage in that intimate, personal dynamic of the relationship. You can't say you love them. You don't love them. You identify with them in a certain way, but you don't love them. And I'm not saying that prayer, and Riles made comments similar like this earlier in the work. I'm not saying that prayer is a means of us getting saved it doesn't earn our salvation. It reveals whether or not we've been saved. That's what it does. It reveals what's in our hearts. So prayer shows who we love. Mm-hmm. Vertically, it shows whether or not we love God. Horizontally, it shows if we love the people that we claim to love. Um, and I think an easy way, you know, so so some of you in here is maybe someone who's listening to the recording right now. You're thinking, okay, do we like... I love a lot of people. Like I truly believe I love a lot of people. Now God obviously can go to God at any time. So if your if your lifestyle is marked by consistent prayer, praise the Lord for that. You're, you got the vertical down. But horizontally, they're thinking, okay, Dewey, I recognize in my life I don't pray as often as I should for all the different people in my life who I truly love and care about. What can I do to grow in that area? And I would just say, whenever somebody makes a issue or request known to you. You pray for them there. Don't get into the trap of telling somebody, hey, I'll be praying for you. Yeah, yeah, we're praying for you. But you really not pray for them. You're, you're not praying for them. And, and, and really, it just becomes something you say almost as a, a cliche or as a way of just, well, I'm a Christian and that's what we say and do. Like when somebody, if you really want to grow in this area, this is talking to myself here, preaching to myself here. If you really want to grow and expressing love to others as evidence through your prayer life. When somebody makes a request known to you, either pray for them there in your own mind, or even better yet, ask them, can I pray for that with you right now? On Sunday, prime example, came to my mind, um, Belle and I were talking to a church member who expressed that uh, her brother was going through a lot of marital issues, and it's kind of awkward. I didn't. I don't know who that guy is. I really don't know a lot of the details about the situation other than what I heard from this church member. But I asked her, said, hey, can we, can we pray about him right now? And, and this study has really, it, it, it's, um, it's motivated me to grow in that area, but it's also convicted me because in the past, there's been many times where I've said I would pray for somebody and I either forget about it or I just don't do it. And I just say the cliche. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there before. Uh, yeah, not you, of course. <laughs> of course not, Alan. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. Uh, so that's just something, I mean, again, it's, it sounds so simple. And, and a lot of Christian life 
our life as believers, a lot is really simple, but we don't apply it because we're selfish and because, because we're lazy, which is a form of selfishness. So anyways, any other thoughts or uh, questions or anything on this uh, aspect of our Ryle study before we move on further in the reading? I have a topic or a person that I want to pray for, but I, I need time for um, not just like a quick on the fly. I want to come quietly after the girls are asleep and just uh, really just come lay that at the feet of Christ. And so all day today, it's like, Lord, don't let me forget. Mm-hmm. Don't let me forget. And then it just keeps kind of popping up in my head. Um, and at any time, it's like, don't just don't let me forget like mm-hmm. tonight. That way I don't lay down and fall asleep. Yeah. It's, I need to do this. Just don't let, I don't have the, I feel like I don't have the time to give it what it needs. Sure. So I'm just like, Lord, please remind me. Yeah, that's a struggle for, please. I think, everybody. And praise the Lord for technology. We have fancy phones and watches and stuff where you can set alarms, reminders, and before you know it, everything's buzzing and you can't get away from it. So uh, praise the Lord for, for those devices we have today. Yeah, that's what I try to do. I have a list on my yeah. phone, so it's, yeah. it's always there. Yeah. So, which I know, you know, you said setting an alarm. I know uh, there's a, a lady at co-op who needed prayer, and they sent out a mass text 6 p.m. Everybody lift up her name, and I'm like, okay, 6 p.m. Set a, set an alarm that I know I am currently praying with everybody else. Very good. Well, um, with that in mind, we will move on to the Thanksgiving and On Guard subheadings on page 24 and the just a little bit of page 25 to prepare to wrap up our, our study here. So I do want to volunteer to read. It's one large paragraph and one tiny paragraph, so just read all of that under the Thanksgiving heading for us, and then I have a discussion question for us to consider. Who would like to read? Joanna, go for it. Thank you. I commend to you the importance of thankfulness in prayer. I know well that asking God is one thing and praising God is another, but I see so close a connection between prayer and praising the Bible that I dare not call the true prayer in which thankfulness has no part. It is not for nothing that Paul says, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. It is of mercy that we are not in hell. It is of mercy that we have hope in, we have the hope of heaven. It is in mercy that we live in a land of spiritual light. It is of mercy that we have been called by the Spirit and not left to reap the fruit of our own ways. It is of mercy that we still live and have opportunities to glorify God and actively actively or passively. Surely these thoughts should crowd our minds whenever we speak with God. Surely we should never open our lips in prayer without blessing God for the that free grace by which we live and for that loving kindness which endureth forever. Never was there an eminent saint who was not thankful of thank was not full of thankfulness. St. Paul hardly ever writes an epistle without beginning with thankfulness. Men like Whitefield in the last century and Bickersteff in our time abounded in thankfulness. O reader, if we would be bright and shining lights in our day, we must cherish a spirit of praise. Let our prayers be thankful prayers. 
Man, that seems like he's just preaching right there. It's this beautiful. That whole section, just, we need to read that almost every day, maybe every day. Uh, you know, that, that's just such a beautiful expression of the correlation between thankfulness and prayer. My question, in keeping with what Ryle just wrote in that section, is um, why do you think Ryle believes that thankfulness is the mark of true prayer? Why do you think he goes to such great lengths to emphasize that true prayer and thankfulness go hand in hand? If you had to say it in your own words or your thoughts on on what we just read together, how would you address that question? So the first thing that I think of, it might not, whenever people, you know, whenever people have somebody close to them pass away, Mm -hmm. it's a really sad time for them. But a lot of times they're like, how could God do this? And I don't know if they pray to God, how could you do this? But if they do, you know, I know it's hard to think of. And I know when I, whenever I lose someone that's close to me, it's hard for me to think of. Mm-hmm. It's like God allowed them to be here in the first place. And God's allowing us to live and breathe and walk mm-hmm. and wake up every day. You know, we should all be in hell. We don't, we don't deserve anything that we have, like he said. And I know it's kind of rash, but... That's the reality. That's the reality. And to say, God, how could you do this, is not thankful at all. That's so much. Yeah. And the fact that he allows us to be here, we should be thankful for that. Thank you for giving me the time that I had with him that I did. Mm. Thank you for allowing me to know this person. And thank you for letting me be able to see them again one day in eternity. Instead of, why me? You know, like you said, selfish. I know that you don't think of that in the moment, and grief is hard. Grief is really hard to get. No, but that that's, but that's very well said. Very, very well said, Joanna. <clears throat> what other thoughts? I often say in mission friends with their four and five year olds, and I don't know if this will answer, but they have such a sweet and childlike faith and a love of God that their prayers are nothing but thanks. And I don't know when that shift changed changes to more of a. What can I? What can you do for me? Mm-hmm. But theirs is a lot of just thank you for anything and everything. Their lists sometimes are long. Yeah, just it's just a natural overflow, you know. Well, he's God and he gave me everything, so mm-hmm. let me just thank him. You know, that is a good. That would be interesting to kind of track if you had a study of a hundred kids. What what point do they start to mm-hmm. change a little bit? And that's just the nature of mm-hmm. our our total depravity of our nature. You know, we we get. Outside of Christ, we get more and more selfish as we progress in our unregenerate state. So, I'm sure... Like, kids, you know, they have... Like, I think of childlike faith as having a right view of God because they do see God as, like, He created everything. Yeah, He's big. And He's big, and I could never do that. And when we start getting older, it's like, but wait, I'm kind of good at things, too. Yeah. Oh yeah, we get <laughs> so, disenchanted. So, well, yeah, it's just a, it's just the tree out there, like that big tree. A little kid yeah. sees that big tree in the front. You're like, oh my lands, look how big that is. That thing is so beautiful, it's so big. And then I go out front. I'm like, just a tree, you know, yeah, like not that big. An oak acorn. Yeah, it's fine. yeah. yeah. It. That's exactly right. You know, I think when they get to school, uh, you know, is whenever they start to be battled and. Because right at first, you know, they're excited about praying for their food. And, you know, if kids are not aware of it, and then they're like, well, why are you praying? You know, and it, mm. so you wonder where they're... Little stuff chips away. It's not that away. they're not thankful. Yeah. 
it's just they're being bombarded. Yeah. So that's why it's important for us to keep encouraging and reminding them. You know, and then oh, yeah. they get that disconnect and until God, you know, opens their understanding. And even then they still struggle. I mean, we all still, yeah, we all still absolutely. struggle with peer pressure and but to me that would be yeah. Because I remember when we were kids, but when we were in elementary school, the teacher prayed for our meals. Really? Yeah, we all lined up in a line, and the teacher said a prayer before we ate and said, if you don't want to pray, then just be quiet. Wow. And and everybody said the pledge, and everybody prayed, and everybody lined up in single file. You were respectful and because the teacher wanted to make sure that everybody blessed their food because kids you know you get excited and run Mm -hmm. and then i remember as you got older that started i mean people quit doing that i don't know i don't know if parents got upset or because you don't know you're a kid you don't know what's going on but you know man we live in a different day and age i remember they prayed over the loudspeaker when i was a kid wow the principal would for us to have a good day. That that is foreign to think about yeah. for me. No, it was like they would say that we would say the pledge, then he would pray, and we'd go to you know, we'd wow. start class. But Pretty I remarkable. guess it's different now. I mean with how much things have changed. Yeah, we just had a moment of silence. Mm-hmm. I mean it was obviously what it was for for some people, but Yeah. I think it depend yeah, depending on where you're at or, or how, wherever you I guess. That's what we did in fact. We did a moment of silence in elementary school. But then once we hit middle school there was there was nothing. It was just I don't think we did the pledge in middle school or high school. Was, and graduations, do they not have a person who prays? Yeah, the kids do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids yeah. the kids. Yeah. Not at uh it's not at bigger not, schools. It's not, more, it's not at bigger schools? Not at least not the district that I was a part of. We had the coach, our coach on the football team would pray. Wow. Before we, we went out. I mean and then but now it's a kid that has prayed hmm. that pray. But it's just a progression. Yeah. You know, and it's only a few people that complain. Mm-hmm. And they the Yeah, a little a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Absolutely. All it takes is just a little bit in there. Um so I noted here a um, little pithy quote that I came up with as I was reflecting on this question and a lot of what Ryle said um, on the subject of thankfulness and its relationship to prayer. But um, I noted that thankfulness is the mark of true prayer because true prayer can only be conducted by Christians and Christians are the only people who can truly be thankful to God. So I'll say that again. Thankfulness is the mark of true prayer because true prayer can only be conducted by Christians, right? Because we're, we're followers of the one true living God. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. And Christians are the only people who can truly be thankful to God. So why is that? Well, because it's not until God opens your eyes, shows you the depths of your own sin, that you're headed to eternal judgment in hell, and that only by his grace and mercy can I be forgiven of my sins and have a relationship with them? And that even though I was a sinner, Christ came and died for me and God still upholds me and sustains me even in my unbelief. When I come to the realization of all of that and I finally recognize the unsearchable grace and mercy and love of God, I immediately become thankful. It's impossible not to be thankful. Because if you recognize all that God's done for you, even your eyes have been opened to it, and you've been born again, the natural overflow effect is worship and thanksgiving. And um, 
I would even go so far as to say on this theme that for each of us, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, to the listener, to everybody here tonight. If your lifestyle is not marked by thankfulness, then you need to do business with the Lord and, and see what the disconnect is. And sometimes, you know, especially if you're very objective-minded, like if you, if you are an objective and very rational and meticulous person, and, and you look at everything just black and white. Sometimes, and this is, I'm describing my personality. Sometimes you find yourself where everything is a critique or it's polemical. And, and it's, it's, well, that could have been better. That could have been better. That wasn't very good. And you've got to remind yourself, even if those are true critiques and true areas of need for improvement, you got to remind yourself of the positive as well. You got to remind yourself that there is reason to have gratitude and to give thanks, even if there's real problems and real issues. So that would be my encouragement to all of us tonight is, and really strive to express your gratitude to God in your day-to-day life. Think about all that he's done for you before salvation in salvation. And if you're in Christ tonight, um, at this point in your Christian walk, think about everything he's done and watch how the Lord will bless you with a attitude of thanksgiving. Well, the last portion of section nine, chapter nine of Ryle's A Call to Prayer. Um, if I can get a volunteer to read the big paragraph underneath the subheading on guard and I will read the rest of that subheading before we have our Concluding discussion question. Who would like to read that first paragraph? I can read it. Thanks, Alan. I commend to you the importance of watchfulness over your prayers. Prayer is that point in religion at which you must be most of all on your guard. Here it is that true religion begins. Here it is, here it flourishes, and here it decays. Tell me what a man's prayers are, and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. Hmm. Prayer is a spiritual pulse. By this spiritual health may be by this spiritual health may be tested. Prayer is a spiritual weather glass. By this we may know whether it is fair or foul with our hearts. Oh, let us keep an eye continually upon our private devotions. Here is the pith and the marrow of our practical Christianity. Sermons, books, tracts, committee meetings, and the company of good men are all good in their way, but they will never make up for the neglect of private prayer. Mm -hmm. Mark well the places, society, and companions that unhinge your hearts for communion with God and make your prayers drive heavily. Mm -hmm. Ryle concludes, there be on your guard. Observe narrowly what friends and what employments leave your soul in the most spiritual frame and most ready to speak with God. To these cleave and stick fast. If you will take care of your prayers, nothing shall go very wrong with your soul. I offer these points for your private consideration. I do it in all humility. I know no one who needs to be reminded of them more than I do myself. But I believe them to be God's own truth 
and I desire myself and all I love to feel them more. I want the times we live in to be praying times. I want the Christians of our day to be praying Christians. I want the church to be a praying church. My heart's desire in prayer and sending forth this track is to promote a spirit of prayerfulness. I want those who never prayed yet to arise and call upon God. And I want those who do pray to see that they are not praying amiss. And Luke 18.1, right there at the conclusion, men ought always to pray. Well, as we conclude tonight and as we conclude this entire section and book that we've been studying now for basically two months, my question for closing application is simply this. How will your prayer life and devotional life be impacted after concluding our study of J.C. Ryle's A Call to Prayer? And if you care to share, how has your life already been impacted based on what we've been studying from Ryle? If anyone feels led to share, how have you been impacted up to this point and how will you be impacted moving forward on the other side of this study? Praying in front of other people has gotten a lot easier for me, like praying in front of everyone at Upward. Oh. Last year, I would have I had my voice shaking and I was reading a prayer. And this year, I felt much more confident in being a pray in front of people I don't know. Hmm. Like my voice would have shaken at a Wednesday night prayer meeting last year. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. Uh, it's just very convicting and almost like. How I feel after reading Job 38 is how I felt yeah. after studying this. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> very humbling. It's very, very humbling. But thanks for sharing that, Samantha. That's great to hear. Any other thoughts? I'll, can, I'll um, go ahead, Joanna. No, well, that's okay. Uh, I don't really know how to put it into words, but... I mean, I don't want to say I'm better at praying, because that sounds, that sounds bad, but I mean, like, I've never studied specifically how you're supposed to pray, so knowing the basics and the guidelines of how to pray has helped me improve. You feel more comfortable. It feels yes. more natural. Yes. Not that I'm yeah. better at it, but I feel like, yeah, more comfortable. There you go. Well, and even, I mean, Basically like... the same thing you said. Yeah, and I don't think it's wrong, like, when you, when you speak of it in... Like, I think it's, it could be wrong to say, you know, I'm a better prayer than so-and-so. I, I pray better than so-and-so. But when you talk about your own, like, hey, I've, I've grown in my prayer life. My, my ability to express myself before the Lord in prayer has grown. Focusing on that vertical dimension and not comparing yourself to other people, I think that's perfectly appropriate to say. Um, and I hope that's the case with everybody who's here tonight, who's listening, who's been a part of our study, that they're more comfortable in prayer. They express themselves more clearly and more thoughtfully in their prayers to the Lord. Um, you know, that, that would be my, my hope and desire that would come out of this for me personally, you know, in just the last two months or so, however long I've been going through this and having this at the forefront of, you know, my mind on a week to week basis, I just find myself more motivated to pray. Um, you know, I, I'm a pastor, so obviously I, I, I pray and study the Word on a daily basis. But for me, it's recognizing the heart and wanting God to change my heart to not just see prayer as something that I do. 
because I'm a Christian and because it's commanded of me, but seeing prayer as really just the, seeing it as something that I need desperately, that I need God, I need his grace, I need his provision, I need to be reminded of my need of a savior so I don't get proud. Um, I need to be reminded that God is not simply transcendent and aloof from creation, but he's actively involved in creation and prayer is a means he uses to accomplish his purposes, which he's declared from before the foundation of the world. So prayer focuses me on the fact that, hey, God is intimately involved in the affairs of reality, the affairs of history. He's orchestrating all things after the counsel of his will. And prayer is one of those ways he orchestrates his desires and, and his purposes. So those are just some thoughts that have come to my mind through this study. Moving forward, my I think where the rubber meets the road for me is just, okay, in three, four, five months, where am I going to be at? Because we're about to start studying Philemon in two weeks. Um, at some point, we're going to return to Wednesday night studies and youth, Lord willing, which will be back in the book of James. I'll have my next round of doctoral work coming here uh, in March and continuing to work on my thesis. So will I continue to be as diligent and as focused on prayer in my own life and having this subjective emotional feeling and, and a need and a want and a desire to come before God? Is that going to be true of me in six months or am I simply riding an emotional high from this study? That That's for me, like moving forward, I think about how's my life going to be impacted? And I guess it comes back to motivation. That's what I want to be focused on. Dewey, where are you? six months from now after having devoted, you know, two plus months to this and putting into practice, of course, a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights and our prayer after our study on Thursday nights, um, everything that we've been considering from Ryle. So that's, that's what comes to my mind. Any other thoughts, comments, anything y'all want to share for the edification of the group before we transition into our time of group prayer? Okay, well, to the listener, I hope and pray that this lesson and the previous lessons that you have listened to um, have just encouraged you in your prayer life and that they have been a blessing to your relationship with God. And if you don't know the Lord, my prayer is that you would come to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would receive forgiveness of your sin and that you would come to taste and see that the Lord is good, that he and he alone can provide you with the satisfaction and the purpose and fulfillment that you long for in the depths of your own soul. I wish you and your family nothing but the uh, richest of God's blessings and hope that you will take some time to pray as we do so here um, as a group after our study. God bless.